fashion, art, culture, and design podcast brought to you by The Folklore, a contemporary online concept store and wholesale showroom that curates Africa's top luxury and emerging designer brands. My name is Amira Asul. I'm the founder and CEO of The Folklore and the host of this here podcast. Now, welcome to episode two of season one of Our Folklore. This week, we are joined by Bronx-born startup founder, photographer, and multi-hyphenated creative being Joshua Kizzy, who will be, you know, giving us some inspirational words pre-COVID-19 that will, you know, inspire us creatively, that will lift our spirits just, you know, a bit. His story is really great. I'm excited that he's our first feature on our My Folklore series. It's a video series that we're now doing where we, you know, tap the individuals in Africa and the diaspora who are doing really important things in terms of storytelling and really, you know, going into their homes, filming a great video, showing their space, showing, you know, them wearing some amazing products from the folklore. Keyword, amazing. I feel like if within this little two, three minute, you know, introduction that I give in each podcast, if you wanted to start a drinking game with how many times I use amazing, I would not deny you of that. And I say, you know, get lit, get lit. Anyway, before we get into Joshua Kizzy, I want to give you some updates about the folklore. We are, you know, still up and running, sending out orders and really making sure that we are providing good content too, because, you know, we're not able to do pop-ups and events uh, the way that we were planning to this spring and summer. So really just creating a community online for all of our, you know, folklore fanatics to, you know, still be able to embrace the brands and the designers and the people that we work with. So if you look on the blog this week, we have the Folklore Sounds of the Month, which is a monthly playlist that we have on our Spotify that we also post on our blog. So just giving you some some vibes, everyone from Masego to, you know, the internet had to have Kate Trinata on there. I've been vibing to Kate Trinata's new album in the craziest of ways. Like, amazing. Take a shot, sis. Take a shot, yeah. Um, no, but Kate Trinata's like my heart. So definitely we have some Kate Trinata on there. Just a really feel-good playlist for you to listen to. We also have... A new blog post featuring seven Senegalese fashion influencers you need to know. So definitely go check that out. Get inspiration. It's like you can take a trip to Senegal and see, you know, their fashion scene from the comfort of your own bed. You know, there's so many people that have been creating content that's been elevating us. You know, I was partying with DJ D-Nice all weekend and having a good time there. Popped over to Quest Love's crib, you know to party with him some more. So, you know, just trying to find ways to lift our spirits. And if there are any things that you want us to write about or you want us to talk about on the podcast, please send us an email at contact at thefolklore.us and we will try to make it happen for you. Now it's time to get into the episode and why why we're here. So this week we are joined by Bronx-born photographer Joshua Kizzy, who recently collaborated with Nike to release a special Black History Month campaign that has the internet buzzing still. You know, Black history don't just last in February, and so people are still talking about this campaign, and Black people are still making history, just so you know. 
Kizzy first hit the scene as one half of Street Etiquette, a men's fashion and lifestyle blog. He is now the co-founder of Tonal, a photo stock gallery that represents a diverse array of skin complexions and lifestyles. I sat down with Kizzy in his home in Queens to discuss his experience as a Ghanaian American, capturing cultural moments both in Africa and in the diaspora, and the importance of artists approaching this work with integrity. I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. He's been doing a great series on his Instagram Live the past week, just talking to different people from the diaspora, from Africa, and really, you know, uh, getting their experiences with what's going on um, now and then just like creatively how they're feeling. So uh, after you listen to this, definitely go check that out, but definitely enjoy the episode. First off, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Um, how do I describe myself and what I do? I describe myself as a storyteller, um, but also a photographer and creative director. Um, but for me, creativity and storytelling comes from whatever perspective that you feel it needs to be expressed. So the medium may change, it may be motion, it may be writing, it may be stills, um, but I just consider myself an overall storyteller. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what was your intention when you first picked up a camera? Uh, has that intention evolved over the years? My intention when I first picked up the camera was to document what I saw around me, <laughs> photograph friends, family, um, but also say something. And back in 2008, even earlier than that, I just didn't see a ton of images that represented us as a community, as a culture, um, whether it's being African or being African-American in the States, being from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. I just didn't see a ton of imagery that represented that. And Spiritical was like the playground and visual kind of landscape of how we answered that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was a big Street Etiquette fan back in the day. (laughs) So what did you love most about your Street Etiquette days? I think what I loved most about the Street Etiquette days was the freedom. Uh, The freedom to create whenever, however, with whoever. And I think um, even though it's concentrated between myself and Travis, we had such a community of people behind us and beside us that truly believed in what we were doing and the messaging. And a lot of it was just authentic blackness, like mm-hmm. genuine blackness in the way that you could just describe and from whatever your perspective is mm-hmm. um, before it became like a trendy thing where, yeah. you know, this hyper blackness that's like now in creativity. Um, but for us, it was just a part of who we were. Um, so there was no other alternative other than to describe mm-hmm. um, where we were coming from, what was we were inspired by. Um, so yeah, I think those are my funnest memories of Striatica is just being able to just be young, be a kid, and just like at the age of 18, working for a company like a Nike, and just being flown out to like, like we never thought we'd be able to like turn this into a career at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, still in school, still trying to figure things out. And this is before Instagram even existed. So it just shows you, kind of dating myself, but it kind of shows you this is the first era of like digital expression, blog era, just kind of like everybody had their, their blogs and their, it was like free digital real estate. Now it's a very much different situation because brands, clients, companies have, um, you know, kind of created spaces for themselves. But back then it was like the Wild Wild West. Yeah, you were the OG blogger. I feel like I went to a blog conference that you were speaking at. Hmm. I don't know. And it was like near Milk Studio, somewhere on like the west side, like early, early days. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I remember Sometimes. being like, oh my God, that's a black person. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it, it truly mattered back then. And yeah. It still matters today, but yeah, I don't think, I knew it was going to be something else big and important, but mm-hmm. at that moment, it was just like, wow, I was just excited to be there, just excited to be in a room, because mm-hmm. my career, my path to this market, this industry mm-hmm. wasn't conventional. I didn't go to school mm-hmm. for any of this, so mm-hmm. I always felt like, oh, I'm just grateful to be here, but it, it wasn't until later on, I was like, oh, like, you should be here. Exactly. Exactly. How, how did you get out of that space of like that imposter syndrome? Um, I think it took a while to get out of space of imposter syndrome, but I just knew I was well deserving of the space we're in because a lot of the community, a lot of black people in this industry never had a conventional way into it. So it kind of shows you the problematic culture of what this industry could be mm-hmm. um, and is for a lot of people of color, especially black people. Um, so no matter if you fall in through the back door or if you climb in through the window, if you go straight through the, the actual door, like, there's going to be challenges no matter what, even if you have a conventional route of a degree and an internship and like contacts and apprenticeship and like all those different elements, there's still challenges no matter what. So I, I figured that like, you know, no matter how you come in the house, quote unquote, um, you're still going to have some sort of challenge and journey into like yourself. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, definitely, because I I have that conversation all the time about how fashion is a very elitist industry where how many people, specifically people of color, can afford to intern for free three, four days a week, not work and support themselves, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like, I think even for me personally, not to jump questions, but that's why I kind of took a break for like three, four years. I was just like, yo. This industry is not saying much. There's so much in the world that's saying a lot, mm-hmm. especially as black people, especially people of color. And I was just like, I just needed to take a step away. And that's when I thought of tonal, when mm-hmm. I thought of like different ways that could combat some of the things that we're feeling as a community mm-hmm. and like provide a resource and solution. So um, love fashion, here for it all the time. It's mm-hmm. an expression. But I need like people are tinkering around these issues rather than like going directly to them. And for me, that I just found that super problematic. I was like, nah don't want to be a part of that right now yeah yeah and how have you felt that people are addressing them now like what are some of the key things that you're seeing i think people are addressing them just through being vocal on social but as Mm -hmm. well as kind of using it as inspiration to design or to to art or to speak i feel like everybody's experience is their own experience but at the same time we're all speaking to similar issues Mm -hmm. and i see way more of that happening whether it's like a peer mall so whether it's like just people having a voice to be able to be vocal. And I feel like five, six years ago, people were still timid around certain issues because they didn't want to ruffle feathers or mess up business deals. Or like, But now I feel like as a community globally, we're very much around like, if it's about us, like it can't be without us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we have to kind of play a part in that. I remember when I first started seeing like Pierre Moss come out and I was like, yo, this man crazy. I was like, <laughs> I was like, he's gonna do this like that. Yeah, yeah. He's been taking it. Then I knew of him for a long time. Okay. Before he went into like what Pierre Moss is today, but like the Pierre Moss of the past with leather jackets and Usher and like like very much a different era. Yeah. But like truly figured it out. I admire and I'm inspired by everything they do because it's it's familial. It's like there's like this connection to the greater diaspora but also connection to the continent but also to just being black in america and I, I think that's super powerful to do that through clothing 
Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And how has your personal style evolved since those street etiquette days? What do you what's what's going um, on now? I know my personal style is, is like an amalgamation of things now. Like sometimes I feel like I want to be Prince and like something like today, or sometimes I want to be like just collared, maybe crew neck. Um, but the perfect thing about street etiquette is like we have the time to just play with whatever, because all the articles, all the content was around clothing. Yeah. Um, so. We had the time to break down the cargo pant, the history of the cargo pant, the history of the Oxford shirt. The history. So it was like a style Bible meets this like journal in a sense. Um, so I got the chance to like mess around with a lot of different aesthetics and see what meant, I mean, what felt like me in that time. So being African is a big part of that. So I was just like, oh yeah, textures and, and prints and this and that. Like, but how do I tone it down? How do I mm-hmm. minimal? This minimal Africana way. But now yeah. I'm like, oh, I just do this prep thing. Um, and I feel like that was the era that we were most known for. It was like the prep, the Black Eyed Beef vibe, that, yeah. that energy. Um, and people to this day still come up to me every day. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about how much that's influenced them and their, their sense of style. And uh, it's cool. It's cool to grow up with people. Like, mm-hmm. people know me since I was 18 to now I'm like married. Yeah. Um, and the same with Travis as well, having a kid. And, like, yeah. Like, people have seen us growing up in some sort of way. And that's like different mm-hmm. um, in this day and age. So it's cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really love the black ivy you know series i used to be yeah. like oh there's fine man i'm about to go to college <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, like, what school is that? yes like, like hillman yeah. it was hillman yeah. it, was. <laughs> it gave people an image of aspiration it gave people an image to think outside of what media may show that we look like yeah it's like no here's an accurate depiction of different type of black men different experiences um, and showing that visually. That was the first viral piece of content that we ever got. Wow, like, okay. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Like, I'm thinking about before social media era, even during it, like, streetetiquette.com is a platform. We go to the stats, like, daily, there'd be, like, 50,000 people now. Like, daily. Like, and we were just like, oh, cool, awesome. Like, people would go, and we'd only update once a week. So, like, why are 50,000 people every day coming to this website? Yeah. It showed that there was a lack in the industry, a lack of... Um, what was out there so it was um it was, it was great to like start that early era mm-hmm. like blog era street style meets black expression and stuff like that so it was, it was great that's dope that's dope so let's get a little bit into uh your photography on the continent and the work that you've been doing there when did you first start visiting africa frequently and shooting there and what was that initial experience like i mean growing up i've always gone to ghana mm-hmm. like, most summers you spend there, your parents are just like, this is home, get familiar with it, like, you know, just growing up in the Bronx, growing up mm-hmm. in the city, I think they wanted us to have a, a perspective of where we're truly from, and uh, be able to fend for your own, and be like, yo, the language, the food, the people, the co- like, get into it, Okay. You know I mean? so I think that was really important, um, and I took a long break from going, but I did go to like South Africa, and Angola, and like, Equatorial Guinea, and all these other places, but I was delaying going to Ghana because at that time I was a full-on adult and I was like well if I go back I wanted to be substantial I wanted to be this this whole experience yeah so other African countries and I was just like I want to go back home and have this particular experience um it wasn't until maybe four years ago I had my own individual experience this is different traveling back home with your parents and family compared to going by yourself yes Um, and when I went I was just so inspired just by the people the culture I mean Growing up in the Bronx is definitely like that. We have a strong community of people from Ghana and people from West Africa. But once I was actually there, once I got off the plane, I was like, wow, this is home. 
this is real. Um, and for me, honestly, like I didn't think to just start photographing immediately. Like to me, the best camera, the best shutters are like your eyes. You know what I mean? So I was just able to experience it. And in some moments, it's so beautiful. You don't want to take out your camera, but like, yeah, let me just. You just you need to experience it. You know, it needs to like register within you. And that's what I kind of focused on the first times I was going. I was like, I don't want to come and say what things should be happening because I've been successful, or what things should be like what you should be doing in your career, what the industry needs to look like. I wasn't trying to come in and dictate any of that. I would just come in, listen, and observe. That's all I was doing. Like having a great time at that. Yeah. Um, but just coming in, listening, and observing. And I saw that there's tons of people moving back or having mm -hmm. a very um, like constant relationship with Ghana, with mm -hmm. the continent in general, whether they're mm -hmm. coming from the UK, they're coming from well, France or Germany or Australia, coming back and having a connection to the continent. And I think that was super important. I was like, wow, what do I want the next 10 years of my life to look like, or the next 10 years of my career to look like? I want Africa and the diaspora in general mm -hmm. to be involved in that. So I started going like four or five times a year. Oh, wow. Yeah just going, mm -hmm. spending time with family. But it was also an opportunity to reconnect with family. Yes. Because um, a lot of people moved to America, so there's like that fraction of like, okay, you have people back home, then you have people here. Mm -hmm. um, how do you interconnect? And I kind of just became like this bridge for like people that's back home and, it, and the things they wanted to say and how they wanted to connect and the people mm -hmm. here and the family here. Um, so yeah, it just became an important part of my creative journey. Okay. And... So when you did start actually like pulling out your camera and capturing yeah. um, your space, what was something that you were definitely conscious of? I mean, honestly, there's what I was very conscious of is the fact that Africa as a whole has had a certain image. And for me, I was like, I want to work against that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to show poverty porn. I don't want to show anything that's going to make people think, not that it's not truthful and it yeah. doesn't happen, but I don't want to use the same stereotypical images to put out in the world. Because there's a surplus of yeah, that now. There's, there's, there's enough. So I was like, mm -hmm. let me show the antithesis of that. So I'm going to show families, people, people enjoying life, people also just looking amazing. People just, like, people would, I'll come up to me and they're like, why do you want to take a photo of me? And I'll explain my language. Like, you're beautiful. Like, you should be seen. Like, I could send this to you over WhatsApp yes. or whatever. And like they would be so happy because some people even have a photo that they really like of themselves. And that's important. So, yeah, it shows. Yeah. It definitely shows and it's super important because yeah, I didn't want to go in and just photograph like the same things people have been seeing but as well as like also want to respect people's individuality and their perspective on their privacy. Like, you know what I mean? I mm -hmm. think in the West we're very much used to cameras and phones and all of that, mm -hmm. but you also want to respect people's privacy of like, oh I don't want a photo, I don't want to be seen, blah blah mm -hmm. blah. Absolutely, but I try to bridge a connection, even if it's temporarily and very short, mm -hmm. about yeah, what we could create in just like just ten seconds. Like, hey, let me just take these quick photos. Mm -hmm. I love you, your family. Like, you mm -hmm. guys are so beautiful. You represent what I think beauty is in mm -hmm. some sort of way, um, and being able to like show that. Now that's that's beautiful. I I know I was one of my courses um, for my master's program. The professor was talking about how so many people treat us as a subject, yeah, yeah. Um, specifically like African people, oh, yeah. and how if we were to go to a school with majority white kids and just start taking photos of their, their children playing in recess, it would be like yeah, crazy, crazy yeah, but crazy. you know, they feel okay coming into our spaces and just taking photos. And like, even yeah. as an artist, in, even coming from a place where we are black, going into those communities and making sure that like we're providing the pictures to them after we take it and we're actually oh, requesting permission and not absolutely. That's you know a whole 
there's a whole hierarchy on how you could like photograph somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've also thought about the language I even use whilst while talking about photographing. Like, is it documenting? Is it capturing? Is it's always these words about coming from the outside in and kind of taking something. Yes. And I'm very careful about the type of language I use when I talk about that because I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I'm colonizing or recolonizing from a certain perspective. Like, yeah, I captured, I documented, I rep- like yeah. all of those are, are words and definitions that are happening from the outside and in taking something away from what's happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, I'm very conscious of like, hey, I'm photographing, I'm showing, and I'm expressing. Like, mm-hmm. and that's very much different than documenting, capturing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, there are certain photographers who are really well known and famous yeah. and great. Um, but their photography on the continent feels way more like subject, mm-hmm. subject to like art and mm-hmm. less of human, mm-hmm. less humanity. And I feel like when I photograph people, I want to be able to show their humanity and not just this artful perspective that I have. So I'm mm-hmm. going to have this chair on top of your head with this and that. Yeah. And you can tell when I'm like, oh, this photographer, she did it or he did it to yeah. actually speak to these people. Yeah. Um, they're just doing art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like. Even though people have been inspired by a lot mm-hmm. of those photographers, they're great. Their work is amazing. Mm-hmm. But, like, what does your humanity look like? And what does your connection to people look like? And that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And who are some of the photographers that you look, that you reference um, from the continent? Either, you know, I know we were at the event with uh, James Barnard. Yeah, James Barnard is amazing. James Barnard is, like, the first photographer, um, film photographer in Ghana from pre-independence to post-independence like with the president and everything else going on and then uh, he moved to the UK um, so it's like I love that perspective because he provided his lens in somewhere that felt familiar but was very different from mm-hmm. Ghana um, so he photographed a ton of the UK as well so I love that connection and bridge that he has within his work mm-hmm. and he's still like 90 something still photographing to this day waking up every day and out here moving too he was looking good yeah, I was like you 90 yeah like literally 90 now for me, like it just brought me to this emotional place. I was yeah, like, that's what success looks like mm-hmm. is to wake up every day and be like I still love to do this thing, um, and to be able to do that at age ninety, mm-hmm. even though I'm thirty, I'm sixty years removed from that. Mm-hmm. That would be such an amazing like feat and just blessing to have. So mm-hmm. I look at him as somebody I definitely aspire to be like, and mm-hmm. also to reference and just kind of put up his work wherever I can, like to just kind of be able to do that. So. Mm-hmm love his work i love prince jesse's work okay he's great um he started out iphone photography and he's really re kind of redefined what people think of african photography in some ways with the colors and the textures and the skin tone and i think uh for a very long time like people shy away from showing blackness within imagery in a way that looks strong in a way that's but now that's like a whole category yeah melanin photography like Mm -hmm. let's give it to you how you need to get it Mm -hmm. and i think that's an important part of history because we've never really had a referential part of art history but within the past 10 years mm-hmm. you could tell what type of vibe somebody's going for when they're photographing people of color or mm-hmm. black people when they, when they want the melanin and pop and the contrast and the texture and all like all of that is a whole subcategory and yeah i feel good about that i feel like i've contributed to mm-hmm. it in some sort of way but also other people have done a great job of just showing what black bodies could look like when they're being captured by black people not captured sorry photographed <laughs> see captures a trigger it's word a trigger you know that's why I'm be getting on boats either uh, there's just so many people <laughs> like you want to go take a cruise I'm like 
you colonize it with the camera. Yeah, no. Be careful what you shoot, see, even that. Um, yeah. So I think it's important to, yeah, check ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. Just have those, because it's, it's already like a psychological embedded thing where you're thinking about like, yeah, capture a document, shoot. Yes. Capture a document, shoot. Mm -hmm. Those are not exactly like great words to be associating with showing somebody's humanity and expression of themselves and identity. So try to really be conscious of that for sure. But I love Prince Jesse work. I love mm -hmm. James Browning, the OG. I love Jamel Shabazz. I mean, it's not on the continent, but mm -hmm. it's amazing. Gordon Parks, of course. Um, David LaChapelle. Like, there's, there's a ton of people um, that has influenced, like, my perspective on photography. But it always comes back down to that humanity. Like, what do people look like? What do people feel like? Mm -hmm. We just have tools to document that. That's all it is, quote, unquote, see? Yeah. But it's like, that's not exactly what... And people were people before a camera is shown, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, how do you show that best side of themselves and tell a story that captivates and inspires, yeah. Okay. And can you share more about the Until We All Win campaign that you uh, sure. did with Nike? Oh, man. That, <laughs> so, the Until We All Win campaign is a... Black History Month campaign by Nike, which focuses on the diaspora, which focuses on blackness, which focuses on like this future black in a sense, um, but still plays on the hinges of what our ancestors brought us to here today. Um, wow, it was just, I didn't know it was gonna be such a whirlwind of just appreciation and a support of inspiration in a lot of ways, because people have never seen an ad that was just, from Nike at least, that was just that black. And yeah. About Nike, this is a company that runs off of blackness when it comes to athleticism, mm -hmm. when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to media. Um, so for them to take that risk and be like, yeah, we're going to stand by this in Black History Month and put it on 34th Street, also downtown LA, and like all of the stores. Um, when Anthony Coleman, who's the design director at Nike, first approached me with this, I was like, we got to make sure this hits. Yeah. If we're going to talk about diaspora, like this is what I've been waiting for. Like, yes. Like the black experience is not a monolithic experience, all right? So I wanted to be able to document. See, I wanted to, <laughs> to, I wanted to be able to like, photograph that and show that and express that from the best point possible. And I think the "Until We All Win" campaign um, did a great job at showing people connectivity, culture, identity when it comes to the diversity of blackness. Like, yeah. what does that look like? One person was from Brazil. One person was from Belize. One person is fire issue when like they we had such an amalgamation of black experiences mm -hmm. and everybody had their own and i feel like that was important because we don't get to show that too much it's either this or that it's either tyler perry or like you know <laughs> what I mean? you know it's just like I'm, I'm for me it's like the the better it is is the mm -hmm. more nuance it is yes. the more depth we have the more definitions we have the mm -hmm. more words we need to call for experiences like what is this i'm having this experience like what type of word could we attach to that and i feel like mm -hmm. the more and more evolution as a people as a community that we get to it becomes more and more nuanced and for me that's more and more beautiful so however somebody may feel or may identify or may like yeah we need to put some type of title on all those things so somebody could feel more human feel more like themselves so i feel like nike did a good job of opening up the door of what mm -hmm diasporic stories look like from a billion dollar brand you've never really seen it mm -hmm. um even the word diaspora like it's just like you know yeah um so i think that was a special special campaign to be involved with and like it's still going on like i'm still mm -hmm. like seeing repost and like appreciation yeah. of this campaign that 
yeah, like everybody wants a Nike campaign, but I want one that represents us. And yeah. I just felt like that was one that opened up the door mm-hmm. um, in many different ways to the nuance and depth of blackness in general. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. No, no, I love that. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh, there's black folks over here. I was like, Nike hired some black folks. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Like, we just made, I was telling Anthony, I was like, bro, we got to make sure everything for as, as much as possible could be from that perspective. And of course, everybody wasn't on set, but mm-hmm. 90% was. Yeah. Um, so it felt like a party. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Asian rep Vanessa, she's like, Yo, this feels like a party. Is this a shoot? Yes. Like, this is a party for four days where we celebrate blackness. We celebrate what that looks like. Yeah, but it's funny because there's only been one time where I've had an all black set, and that was a V magazine shoot that my roommate produced who's actually white but she wasn't on set so it don't count um (laughs) and the makeup artist was black hair was black we were shooting saint beauty so you know two black girls like i was the stylist and i just felt like an energy where i was just like yo like this is a like predominantly white publication that's like funding me being able to spotlight these great r&b artists and i know that feeling has to be great it was great it's a safe space you know what i mean mm-hmm. before we started shooting i was just like hey i want to just give a speech like just kind of like an all hands in meeting and i was just telling everybody like hey we're all here for something greater than ourselves um before we get into our egos and what we're doing and like the work that we're gonna all kill and do great let's just make sure that like everybody here is like filled up you know what i mean mm-hmm. don't treat them halfway filled like yeah everybody here is filled up. so just make sure that every person you come in contact with over this four-day period, you treat them with that respect and we're celebrating blackness. Let's go. Everybody cheered and we went on and just like did this great project. So, and you turned on the burner boy and yeah, it, was like, <laughs> it was a good time. I was just like, man, I, I don't want to show up to a space that I'm big on energy. You know? Yeah. It's a space that, uh, that takes away from who people are, who they feel they need to be in those mm-hmm. moments. So I'm just like, nah, yeah, I'm big on that. Yeah. No, that's great. And what are some things that artists specifically black artists should con- be conscious of when they're teaming up with like large establishments um and and they're creating something that's you know based off of our culture sharing our heritage yeah i think black artists should be conscious of the things they're willing to fight for and the things they're willing to like let go of and i know this is it's just a big compromise because like this is this is capitalism you know yeah I mean? if you want to be frank like capitalism truly started when transatlantic slavery like that was that was the forms of it so i'm like everything else that's built on the backs of that is going to affect how we feel so it just depends on what type of person you are but i'm just like just know what you want to fight for and know that you can pass on i mean like cool like i'm not worried about that i just want to get this message in. i just want to like you just have to be strategic like i was saying earlier it really depends on who brings you in the room like you truly got to have the right liaison you got to have the right collaborator internally at that company because if you're brought in and not the best way, then maybe your voice is not gonna be heard the right way. Like, if you're, bringing, if you're being brought in by somebody that has the rapport and stature and like respect of the people that they, the company they work for, mm-hmm. um, sometimes your ideas will land better because people will listen in a better way. So how does your company Tonal contribute to diversifying the images we're seeing in the media? Um, well, Tonal was started by myself and Karen O'Conquo two years ago, um, and Tonal is a culturally diverse photo stock company. Um, and it, 
to me, like after Striatica, I was thinking like, okay, that was a that was an example of like micro influence growing into this like counterculture, growing into like you know inspiration and art and creativity. And I was just like, that was great, but I was like, there needs to be a macro solution to what diversity looks like. Like there needs to be at least one thing that a company could do, a person could feel empowered to do, um, and go on a computer to do it in order to combat some of the things that the issues we face. Yes. So Tonal works with small businesses because the subscription model mm -hmm. is also a business to business model. Mm -hmm. So there's small businesses, there's agencies, there's press, there's media. And when you think about it, when you walk around, for example, Times Square or any like ad driven city, it's ads that inform people's perspectives on other people. Mm -hmm. Whether the stories that are embedded into the advertisements, a lot of times advertising agencies have the, I mean, privilege of working on those things. So mm -hmm. I figured out, I was just like, wow, like if I'm on an airplane and I'm looking through a magazine and, mm -hmm. and I'm going to Kenya, like the images I see in that magazine is going to kind of inform my experience some way or another before I land. Yeah. Um, and that's just one small example of like how images inform my everyday life. Mm -hmm. Phones are, are people's lifelines, you know what I mean? Like people like love their phones so much and mm -hmm. it's just that whole scrolling effect as you're looking at social media, as you're looking at articles, it, like images are always there. Mm -hmm. um, so I figured out that like, wow, if we kind of play a role in how diverse those images that people will see are there, like mm -hmm. maybe this could be somewhat beneficial towards the solution of how people see each other, mm -hmm. but also how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. So Tonal is a, an amazing, amazing platform mm -hmm. where different from Street Etiquette, where I don't need to drive it or be it. It's yes. a business model. It's a tangible business. Mm -hmm. People need to subscribe or they purchase images from the platform. Mm -hmm. um, so as of right now, we have clients like Amazon and mm -hmm. Google and Microsoft a ton of tech companies because they know they have the influence, the power yeah. mm -hmm. of how people see themselves. Um, and they're just like, yo, we want to invest into this mm -hmm. from our company, even if it's only internal. Yes. Um, and how you see that. So I think Tonal, it's, it makes me happy to talk about it and have it within my creative journey because mm -hmm. I went from just being somewhat of a consumer in a mm -hmm. sense of just fashion and clothing to being a creator in a different way. Mm -hmm. Not just a creative through work, but a creative through a solution. A yeah, sense. you're a startup founder. Yeah. yeah you know, you are founder. a startup founder. I am a startup founder. I should have put that in my intro. Yes. Founder, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been amazing to even do that and grow a team and like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. and I think Karen is really, really talented at business and, and marketing. And I have a great partner in the way that she navigates um, Tonal's future and what we hope to do and what we hope to build with it. Mm -hmm. But it's a legacy thing. It's like, there's going to be the Getty, there's going to be the Shutterstock. Mm -hmm. Even in the first two, three months of us starting Tonal, like these companies were inquiring. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is before it even launched. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is before it launched. They're yeah. just like, hey, we found out about this. Like, basically, like, what are you doing over here? You know what I mean? Like, how much can we really pay you to, like, stop this? You know what I mean? Ah, like, okay. Like, it, it gets to that point. So, reparations. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> how, calculate that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> these companies are hitting us up before we launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just been an ultra amazing blessing to be able to kind of look outside of myself, still have my personal work and the things mm -hmm. that I love to do, travel, talk about diaspora stories, but all of these things find a home within Tonal as well, because it's about people. Yeah. It's like, how do people see themselves? One of our first clients at Tonal was the Urban Indian Health Institute, and they're an agency that provide, you know, health resources as well as, uh, documentation for like American Indians and indigenous people and in populations. And it was literally our first client because they were like, 
we don't have images mm-hmm. of like Native American and indigenous food, like our cuisine. Mm-hmm. Like you can't find people that aren't on reservations that are doctors or engineers. Mm-hmm. And, like, and we have all these people, but the media never shows it. So how do we collaborate and create that imagery? So we worked on this like amazing partnership where we supplied a ton of images for them to use internally, but also externally around indigenous and Native American populations. That was our first client. Wow. First client. So here mm-hmm. we are thinking about like, here's the lack of blackness and the lack of, yeah. and, you know, and I'm like, yo, American Indian, Native American, indigenous mm-hmm. population have been the first people that have kind of been erased from the narrative of what media in the world looks like mm-hmm. when it comes to their community. Yeah. So it literally brought me to tears where I'm just like, damn, like, they don't even have images of the food that they create that the food that they love to eat mm-hmm. is not readily available yeah like that's super sad like yeah. so i was just like this is such a a, a big issue mm-hmm. but we're like really willing to take it on in our own way so it was just like an amazing opportunity to play a part even if it was small mm-hmm. in the solution of bringing people solace and peace within their identity that's really dope. That's really dope. So what are some of, final question, what are some of the projects or stories you haven't had the chance to uh, tell yet that you want to? That's a great question. Um, as I said in the beginning, like I'm a storyteller. I want to continue to tell stories. And I truly feel like black and brown people and people of color in general, we just have so many stories that haven't been told. The stories that are at the forefront are the polarizing ones. But I really want to get into the depth and nuance of who we are, especially within the diaspora, being from one place, connected to another, going to another place. What do you leave home? What do you take with you? Like, all those different ideas mm-hmm. and, like, lives that people have lived, mm-hmm. I would just love to tell stories around that. And, like, yes, it can start with fashion. Yes, it can be, like, all those things are important to me. Fashion, art, creativity, and travel, and sport and all these different elements but like people are humans like it's humanity yeah so it's just like if i could continue to tell human stories in, in whatever way that makes possible especially within diaspora like i'm here and i'm so for it because we still haven't seen that yet you know? yeah we still haven't seen what it looks like to have those type of stories be at the forefront mm-hmm. and not play the background yeah so even though i'm thinking within the black population you like outside of black American or like African American people, like that's like the loudest voice in the room most times. Yeah. Globally, mm-hmm. for sure. Then after that, it's probably like British, black people, and, mm-hmm. and it keeps going like West Indian, maybe like African, you know, like, but now we're getting to a space where people are embracing various different parts of the black diaspora in different ways, mm-hmm. whether they're directly connected or descendants of, and I feel like that's a greater, that's a greater like accomplishment for our community to continue to tell those stories, like whatever it looks like, even if you're Trinidadian, Jamaican, or you're from Ethiopia, or you're from Brazil, or you're from like wherever you're from, wherever you landed on this earth, I feel like there's, there's a room and opportunity to tell stories in such a, a beautiful way. And I just want to be involved in it. I don't have to be shooting it, I don't have to be in it. I don't have to, like, as long as I'm playing a part and supporting other people to like tell their stories, I'm here for it and I feel like that was from the beginning and that's what I wanted to do 10 years ago yeah full so circle like, yeah full circle so for, for it to be like a part of my next 10 years is like super important so mm-hmm. it's getting back to the storytelling getting back to whether it's motion and film or stills or writing or whatever it is like I'm super passionate about continuing to do so okay well thank you so much for joining us on this episode of our folklore and let 
the viewers or listeners or however they're absorbing this content know where they can follow you, support you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at Joshua Kissy, Tonal's at T-O-N-L. And yeah, just just follow me wherever I'm at. In person, follow me. (laughs) (laughs) But don't actually just don't don't follow follow (laughs) (laughs) us. No, no, it's cool. Um, Thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to speak and tell my story. And like, yeah, I'm just looking forward to what folklore grows to be. It sounds like an amazing platform. And for me to just play small roles, such an honor. Thank you. Thank you. I hope everyone enjoyed the second episode of Our Folklore as much as I did. I had such a great time talking to Josh. I've been an admirer of his for a very long time. As you heard in the podcast, I first saw him at a blogger conference. Remember when we did that? Remember when we were called bloggers and not influencers? You know, I mean, I was called neither, even though I did have a very, very interesting blog in high school called Bobby Austin's Closet. And my nickname was Bobby Austin, which, you know, it's a long story, but I really hope that his story inspired you and that, you know, you tune in and continue to listen to the great lineup of people that we have coming up. To stay up to date with the podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher, and give us a great rating and share it with your friends. You know, y'all got nothing to do anyway. And check back in every Wednesday for a new episode. To find out more about the people discussed in each episode and to shop styles from the brands we work with, visit shopthefolklore.com and sign up for our email list because we're going to hook you up with 10% off your first order. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Folklore. We post a bunch of beautiful content. It's not just product stuff. We really want to, you know, create a lifestyle image that you guys can support. And again, my name is Amir Al-Soul, and this is Our Folklore. Mm-hmm.